Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Think of me as a shadow. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 408, All In, comes to you now via Devore Scanner. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, in the last week or so, uh, talking to those critics at the Television Critics Association stuff, uh, the you know Star Trek folks saying that uh, there's a Starfleet Academy series allegedly being explored again. And they also affirmed that the Section 31 show was really firing up again soon. Uh, I guess we'll file this under Wheel C, particularly since... Uh, after that uh, announcement to critics, Michelle Yeoh uh, was announced as being a star in an upcoming Disney Plus show called American Born Chinese and so forth. So I guess they're not doing the Section 31 show, let's say, during American Born Chinese. I don't know, but uh, according to those folks, the state of future Star Trek shows yet unmade is good. You would have to figure that given the release schedule that we know and then what we could speculate okay so picard after uh discovery when they run concurrently of course at the very beginning okay then strange new worlds overlapping one week heading us into july then uh your lower decks then you'd have to figure picard season three will come after that then strange new worlds season two as they're about to go into production uh then a discovery then a landing spot for um section 31 so it sounds about right uh so you'd have to figure all right it would be a mid next year to third fourth quarter 2023 so that about works out Pete, that's a good bit of schedule prognostication, uh, particularly for the second half of this year. And I hadn't stopped to think that uh, it makes a ton of sense to have two seasons, at least part of two seasons of Picard run in this calendar year, which is uh, an exciting prospect, certainly. Well, they've wrapped now on on season three. Sir Patrick is officially done uh, acting in front of a camera as uh you know jean-luc picard and you know all that remains is for those 20 episodes to air and i i think we'll we'll get the beginning of that uh at the very end of this year if not early in 23 definitely in that year but speaking of all in matt they said it never happened right all those youtubers with the z and bloggers with the z said it had never happened but here we go the flagship of modern star trek airing streaming its 50th episode this week as the first of 26 straight live action episodes across 22 weeks that is a super exciting prospect. It might make for some interesting podcasting times and challenges and so forth, but uh, I'm here for it, Pete. I'm here for the next um, approximately 
half year of live action Star Trek episodes. More than that, when you take it all the way back to November that we've had an episode of Star Trek every week, starting with Prodigy uh, and then into the beginning of season four of Discovery. So exciting, unusual times. Yes, demanding from uh, ours truly, but you know, you're here for it, which means we're here for it. Well, Pete, no time like the present for the future. So with that, let's head into the mission briefing. The shuttle bay of the USS Discovery buzzes with activity at Federation headquarters as Admiral Vance scrambles all vessels to find Cleveland book bookers, rogue ship, and the stolen classified prototype technology. It required dual authorization, and Ruan Tarka entered his code and Vance's. President Rillick finds Vance and meets with him and Michael Burnham to ask if they had any idea this was coming, which they didn't, and then she asks how they did not. It is a great dual line there, and I feel like it's something that everybody can keep filed away for whenever you might need to use it in the real world, because both questions, I don't know, she hits them up with both questions, and the result is they're both stunned and slapped as a result, and for as much as, you know, I'm hashtag Team Burnham and so forth, and certainly like uh, Admiral Charles Vance, and perhaps I'm a bit suspicious of President Rillac, although she's she's been doing a great job, Pete, polling very well. Um, <laughs> just the no, I mean, just the notion of, are, were you in on it? No. How are you so dumb to not know what was going on? Just fantastic, fantastic writing here. Uh, President Rillac also handily recaps that the next generation propulsion device is now gone, and it suggests that the federation or might suggest to some that the federation can't handle big jobs big missions big steps to the future uh and of course the plan of cleveland book booker and uh ruan tarka uh if seen to fruition may provoke the baddies behind the dma pete i don't know if the dialogue that we heard from her that we saw from her i don't know if that was written with an act break, or pardon me, with a, a season break in mind. Um, but, and, and perhaps if we were to look at any random episode, at the in the teaser act of any random episode of Discovery, they might be like, now don't forget, we are, you know, without this person and waiting for repairs on that thing, just to, you know, as part of the normal discussion. But it kind of struck me as like, oh, right. Like, I'm not, I did watch 407 earlier this week, and I was very, clear on you know the situation but it was like thanks for the reminder president Rillac. it's good storytelling in that it gives you that necessary exposition in an effortless way um she blames tarka on vance and book on burnham um that out of the way here intelligence has id'd four vendors that have the black market isolinium um, and that's obviously what, uh, Tarka needs to make the weapon to attempt to take out species 10 C, uh, Vance is deploying ships to those locations to detain the fugitives on site and Rillick tasks discovery with gathering info on species 10 C since Burnham is too close 
to the situation with Book, and Vance dismisses her. We head to Book's Pete, if you can believe it, still unnamed ship. It feels like forever and a day ago when we first heard the name Cleveland Book Booker, still mystery surrounding him. Uh, Tarka wonders how it all felt, you know, doing the uh, doing the spore mini spore drive jump and so forth. Booker is short on details. However, he reiterates that he wants to stop the DMA. Uh, he's being hailed repeatedly by Burnham. Uh, he's ignoring those hails. Uh, the two gentlemen discover that Book and uh, Tarka now have wanted posters up. Uh, they're headed for the clink eventually, Book assumes, but Tarka says that once the two are successful, they will be hailed as heroes, you know, saving billions of lives and so forth. Um, oh, Tarka kind of mumbles, uh, Book, uh, we need you to get some isolinium, right? Uh, Book thought that Tarka had a line on it, but uh, nope, not with the Federation not helping anymore. Uh, and Book is reminded by Tarka that uh, he, as a courier, has this job. He can figure it out, right? Um, and bring your change purse, says Book. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to cost them. It, it's quite a big but. Oh, I thought you know where to get it. But from a story sense, makes sense that obviously they still need this. Uh, apart from the fact of the story clock of 24 hours to, to make the weapon, which can't begin until they get the raw materials. Um, that and Book's knowledge that Burnham will do whatever she can to attempt to track him down. Uh, we go back to Burnham's ready room where Admiral Vance visits. Uh, he reflects on how brilliant Tarka was when they first met. He made it sound like anything was possible. Why would he do this? Burnham wonders if perhaps Tarka's ego was too fragile to handle losing an election, you know, like the community saying no to his attack plan. Um, but as to the plan at hand, finding Book, no, wait, that actually wasn't the plan. Uh, Vance says that, of course, he'd never, uh, never go against the president, particularly in public. But he wants Burnham to be creative, to find a way to stop Book, uh, all, of course, within the mission parameters that were officially given. So, Pete, I know, you know, some people, whatever, chafe at the, uh, you know, having, I don't know, Michael Burnham, the lead of the show, act like the lead of the show and things like that. But I, I did find myself smiling at the notion that everybody kind of knows Burnham you know, works the rules and finds a way, you know, as other captains have done in the past too, may I point out. Um, but here it's kind of like, you know, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Burnham, go do two missions at once. Yeah, that Vance identifies her for her skill set, okay? Regardless about how you feel towards Sinequa uh, Martin-Green's character, can can we acknowledge this and, you know... I, I think we're enormous fans of Michael Burnham. Um, this is someone who has earned the seat on the show. That's never been the case. Okay. And uh, now as a captain is asked to do the very same things that got her there. Uh, that's a resume, Matt, as, as you use, the show's words itself okay uh a, a feature not a bug all right and uh let 
her be who she's always been written as instead of being derided with the uh, misogynist nonsense. Oh, here's a she's going to cry again this week. Pete, we move to the credits, uh, the acting credits, which includes Sonique Martin-Green, Anthony Rapp, uh, Wilson Cruz and David Ajala. And of course, uh, Doug Jones, apologies for being slightly out of order there. Pete, what struck my mind was, what struck my eye, uh, this might be the lowest main credited number of actors for Discovery. Um, of course, they're doing the modern thing of, you know, sometimes actors who don't appear, uh, depending on their on their resume stature, they may or may not appear in the credits, even if they are main cast, blah, blah, blah. But just kind of caught my eye. I know some people come and go and all that. Uh, the episode, though, written by Sean Cochran, uh, no relation to Zephram that we know, uh, and directed by Christopher J. Byrne and Jen McGowan. Uh, we pick up Matt in engineering where Burnham joins Saru and Stamets to tell them Rillick wants them to make first contact sooner. They update her on the coordinates, but not before expressing their support and concern for her and Book. Stamets says data on what lies beyond the galactic barrier is extremely limited. There's a gap where the orbits of stars indicate a significant gravitational presence. They need a visual of the area, and Zora says the sphere data has a record of the warp-capable stilf civilization 30 light-years from those coordinates. The Federation has never encountered them, but Orions have, and Burnham knows an information broker on Porathia. And by the way, Pete, may I point out, and yes, that is stilf with a PH. Uh, Saru and Burnham, uh, going to walk and talk. Is she actually going after book? She says, yes, indeed. She thinks book will go to the same broker. So they are headed to kill two birds with one stone. And Saru tells her to be safe with that. We cut to books ship as they, uh, head to has Mazzaro's barge. Well, well, Maz Kanata's cantina. Um, maybe close to it. Uh, Pete, inspiration can strike from anywhere. Um, it's noted that, that all here can be done, uh, either up front or out back. Uh, there's a great line here that Haas is fun until he's not. Uh, they get patted down and Haas arrives big in personality and looking like a devil. Uh, he asks Book, where's your buddy Michael? What's going on? How you doing? Book says he's here for, uh, for the Isolinium. Why? Uh, well, to each his own, her own, their own, all the things. Pete, can I love Haas while still uh, being worried about him on a variety of levels? Oh, yeah. And, oh, good. You know, that he uh, has a line on Isolinium, but it's going to cost more than they're offering. Uh, Tarka wants proof of its purity. So Haas will take his Latinum, but no deal since what book had already warned Tarka about he owes him for a previous transaction that went awry. But as a last minute offer book uh, says he'll help Haas detect his thieves to cover their costs. Uh, and Pete, that's what they call a deal. Uh, with that, we cut to the new look shuttle, which of course was introduced in a prior episode, just as general, new starfleet shuttles 
Uh, Burnham kind of precaps the mission ahead with Owo, but why did she bring Owo? Burnham recognizes that Owo wanted to help with the whole rift thing and took a misstep. However, her heart was in the right place, and now she can prove herself. Uh, they arrive at the planet, flying towards Gasp, a sea dragon. Oh, wait, it's actually a hollow projector for the barge, the Karma Barge. Uh, and all of this just delightful sci-fi storytelling. It's cute. And, you know, we had seen some clips of this, like, oh, they're going to battle a sea monster. And, you know, that it winds up being a cover for this casino is really neat inside uh haas welcomes starfleet captain right hook and lieutenant commander awoshikan uh she gives him um the goods and also inquires about some uh isolinium but the price has gone up with multiple bidders what are those multiple bidders up to matt uh, well, right before we go to them, I just want to point out that as Burnham and Owo enter the casino floor, uh, Pete, a guy I'd like to call Slimo Greaseballo, who actually is the <laughs> little buddy of the fighting guy, although I think the episode does not do a great job establishing that fighting guy is the buddy of Slimo Greaseballo. Um, but but Mr. Greaseballo is, is the one telling them to watch out. Uh, and of course, that's a little setup for for later and so forth. Um, but as to those multiple bidders, we go back to Book and Tarka. Tarka using a device of some sort. Perhaps we are meant to think it's a scanner, although we'll find out later it does more than that. Uh, Book sees a guy, uh, alien type guy, if I may be so, you know, earth centric, uh, whose eyes are blinking in an odd way. Maybe that's how the cheating ring communicates. Tarka steps away, just in time for Book to be cornered by Burnham. Uh, she says that he can come back, Isolinium in hand, and the Fed will cut him some slack for being pulled into this mission. Uh, and Book says that he wasn't pulled in. He decided, uh, he's reminded that if he goes through with it, he can't come back from the choice, and she's not going to walk away from this. She will stop him. So, Pete, the external drama the internal drama intertwined much as lovers might be haas says that the stellar surveys will take some time and he wants three times what burnham has to sell the isolinium to her uh but won't let her contact starfleet and its deep pockets um and he also knows what's happened with book and tarka so the upshot is that uh burnham and owo need to score a lot of latinum fast and owo has a crazy idea a crazy idea perhaps precipitated by the beginning of their portion of the scene in which we overhear that the boxing ring is looking for challengers <laughs> then owo looks at the boxing ring whose hollow banner says something like challengers accepted uh, back to Discovery we go. Culber is voraciously cleaning uh, his quarters that he shares with Stamets. Stamets notes that essentially there are robots that can do this. Pete, where are those robots other than my off-brand Roomba? Where, where is... When can I get one of these cute little guys? The cute little guys that Culber yells at uh, tells the robot to go back to its port or docking port or whatever. He admits that he didn't do enough to flag and stop Book. 
Stamets reminds him that Culber can't solve the problems of his patients. He can only help lead them to solutions. Everyone makes mistakes, and all mistakes come from the same place. Uncertainty, it is a terrifying idea, but let's be terrified together. Uh, how about we uh, go to the holodeck for the latest flower field program? Who's up for a stroll? Pete, I know there's a certain sense where this is kind of a flyover scene in terms of like, meanwhile, back at the ship, whatever, whatever. However, Pete, it's sentiment from the heart. You know what? Sometimes there are terrifying times. Let's be terrified together. Maybe we always can't work our way out immediately, but, you know, the the whole Starfleet notion of togetherness. It's a check-in, uh, and thematically, what we're looking at for the season, the uncertainty of COVID, of a pandemic, uh, with the DMA as the metaphor. Um, and to not only you know, give us a scene of Colbar and what's he up to, to have Stamets connect with him, but to have Stamets name check Gray, having gone to Trill to take care of that. Would have appreciated a word about Adira, uh, but we'll, we'll take at least one of our unseen uh, characters getting name checked there. Awoshikun is in the fighting ring, and Burnham opens bets on Joanne, oh wow, Awoshikun, against the much bigger Adokur at 2-1. to one. The first one to hit the mat loses, and she holds her own before he hoists her up and throws her down. And she wants to try again at 10-1. Uh, Book, meanwhile, tells Tarka that Burnham is here, so it's time to speed things up. Uh, oh, and look, there's another cheater kind of blinking away. Uh, great line here from Tarka, uh, where it's the effect of, I may be saying this wrong, but uh, you were right, Book. I mean, it's just, it's dialogue to advance the plot, and it's dialogue to, uh, you know, illuminate the character. Um, Book and Tarka watch the cheater start to walk away, and then morph into someone else. It is a changeling, a cheating ring of one, uh, Tarka is going to step away to work on something. Pete, the memory alpha tells me this is the first time we've seen a changeling since the Deep Space Nine series finale. Um, the idea of a changeling at first mentioned, my brain went to Iman in uh, Star Trek uh, Undiscovered Country. Um, it wasn't until later, obviously, we see it is the founding, uh, you know, founder style changeling um with some updated you know uh bucket effect um so really appreciate that meanwhile owo has lost off screen has been bloodied uh and burnham wants her to quit but owo begs for one more shot here at 45 to 1 and burnham bets it all you could make a lot of money off such a win. I just want to point that out. <laughs> um, Owo, getting ready to fight, says to uh, Ato Kerr, this friend of Slimo Grisballo, that both should have manners. She kneels and the fight begins. She promptly smacks him up good, uh, letting him, uh, kind of getting him against the ropes at one point. I think there's kind of, you know, crowd dialogue like, do it! Uh, instead, she kind of lets him up, then beats him even worse. She then finishes him and wins victory. 
Uh, the music is maybe a little too happy for something that we knew would happen. Like, this is not, you know, the chariot race and Ben-Hur here. We kind of figured our heroes were going to win, but that's fine. We can all have joy, Jeff Russo and so forth. Uh, congrats, says the, um, not a Dabo girl. What's the proper term, Pete? The the woman working the floor in terms of payoffs and so forth, payouts, debt collection and so forth. Congrats. Here is all your money. Everyone <laughs> is a winner. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is a winner. <laughs> um, it's at this point when they've, when they're in the process of getting all the money that uh, the fighter and the grease ball want their money back. Uh, I think Pete, the purpose of this scene, uh, yes, it's an opportunity for, you know, book and Burnham to come together and all that. But I think the purpose is actually somebody was like, Burnham doesn't do anything action-y in this episode. What if she gets to punch the fighter guy? And she does, punctuating the whole conflict there and, and ending it. Uh, they spot the changeling, Book and others do. There's a brief chase. Love that it turns into a triple, complete with triple squeak. Uh, Tarka ultimately captures them in a stasis field. Kaz arrives. What's going on? And I thought it was going to be a moment, because look, we've just seen Book and Tarka have a triumph. We've just seen Burnham and Owo have a triumph. It's only as they both excitedly explain, uh, I've done my thing. No, I've done my thing. No, we both, we, oh no, it's a tie where you go, oh, right. They both had separate little missions. They both just crossed the finish line together. That's dramatically interesting. Yeah, to cross those A and B plots here. Um, he wants to settle it with the traditional courier fashion of a game of Leonian poker. And now there's two more interested parties. Uh, Burnham. Pete, says, I, I don't know if they're good or bad. Tell me about their eye makeup. <laughs> yep, right, right. You know they're bad because they both have the same eye makeup. And we're told later they're emerald chain holdouts, hungry to be the next Osira. Uh, in a moment that uh, Burnham and Book share while one of them is verifying the quality of the goods. Um, they strike an uneasy accord to at least keep the Isolinium out of their hands. Burnham is next up here to verify the Isolinium, and Haas says that he hopes it works out between her and Book. Take us to the Leonian poker game, Matt. Well, if we could just stay with the, the the crystal for just one moment. Pete, I think I'm pretty good at spotting a setup, but as we have the close-up on series star Sonique Martin-Green with uh, the, the guest actor playing Kaz in the background, he who is talking to her while he turns his head and I think it's like he's trying to get something for, out of his eye or you know something like that, it in no way, to me, it in no way smacked of, oh, we're setting up something for later. Um, yes, it's this interesting bit of dialogue. So when you replay it later in terms of, oh, the crystals are uniform or whatever. But like it in no way feels like a setup, but indeed it is. Uh, then we play. Burnham is suddenly not acting like herself. And to my eye is clearly cheating at the game of poker with Booker as we see his ear rub and tap tap of the chip and other signals i personally found this portion a little silly however on second view i did also wonder if kaz is kind of in on it like he doesn't care who wins the game the house is winning um so if there's a little like 
he knows Burnham wouldn't normally be like, hey, let me tell you a story of this one time on this other planet. Somebody lost all his clothes and was naked. Like, Kaz doesn't care because the latinum's coming to him and the crystal thing is going out of the building at the end of the game. So, Pete, that made me feel better over some of the some of the silliness because of course star trek must always be serious and we can never have any fun i like that we get a little star wars in our star trek from time to time and book takes these first two rounds after a bunch of talk then burnham wins one which causes the first male uh player to stomp out in the meanwhile owo chats up tarka as they watch and gets in his head, uh, she says she knows what it means to lose someone or something uh, and that something good needs to come out of it. And he tells her that if she could feel the weight of his loss for just a fleeting moment, she'd reconsider that. Some more intrigue about obviously uh, what's caused him to do this. The female player then behaves badly, bringing us back into the game, and Haas beams her away, leaving just the bygone lovers. There's a reference here to Star Trek Beyond. On one of the cards from the side, you can see a really, really involved alien design with like a spiral head, something, Matt, that was not good enough for the uh, Motion Picture Academy to even honor with a nomination in 2016. Uh, might There might have been the nomination, but I know that the Academy decided that uh, Harley Quinn uh, and Killer well, Croc had better makeup than the 50 unique aliens in Star Trek Beyond. So good news. No Star Trek bias. No sci-fi bias. Um what I like about this scene and the preceding card one is that they are leaning into the use of alien cards. And even though like they show us, look, there's eight red things and kind of, it goes, it kind of, there's the moment of like, you know what that means. Right. And then of course we don't, but then it's reaction shot to like, Oh man, I lost. Uh, so I like that they're playing it. Like it's, I don't know. I, I like how they're, I like how ultimately, even though we don't understand the game, they're letting the emotions of the characters tell us, you know, what's up. And indeed, Burnham has a straight. This looks pretty good. Book shares his cards. Uh, we are told by, by, uh, by Haas that Book has a flush. Burnham is sad. So even if you don't know the difference between a straight and a flush, uh, we know she's lost. Uh, and, um, Book is now going to be. Handed the Isolinium, which also helps you understand that he has won the Isolinium. Aboard Book's ship, Tarka tries to boost Book, who only wants to end the DMA for good. Uh, they also are reflecting on sacrifice and prices paid. Perhaps Burnham and the others will understand. Uh, the only thing worse would be if the sacrifice was done for nothing. Um, and I do like that the camera kind of lingers on Tarka towards the end of the scene. Um, I think the net takeaway is, is as we have known, but we are developing further that there's, you know, a mysterious side to Tarka. The story returns to headquarters where Burnham recaps indeed having gotten those stellar surveys. Also kind of randomly came across book. 
uh, President Relax says that this was a loophole, but the loophole didn't count here. It didn't yield any results. Burnham bet it all and lost. Pete, this is the point when Burnham reveals that she actually had a master plan, which, again, maybe this is something like when they were pulling out of, uh, you know, planet sail barge here would have been like, hey, boss, good news and bad news, got to stellar, like, Again, point being, I understand that we're slightly constructing this moment here, and it's all in good fun. Um, because, Pete, what was the plan, actually? She knew she'd probably lose to uh, Book, who's such a skilled player at Leonian poker, that she planted a tracker on the Isolinium, like Starfleet put in its Dilithium shipments, which can be detected from several sectors away. They pull it up there, and because it's not moving, ascertain that Tarka is assembling the weapon, which means they're going to have about a day window to attack. Saru, however, interrupts with news that Stamets has important info from the Star Sharks about Species 10C that surpasses even the loftiest expectations of their abilities. Indeed, uh, their tech is impressive. They look at kind of their distortion field. It is giant, big enough to hold a host star and two to three orbiting bodies. Uh, this hyperfield, it's acting like a Faraday cage. We have no idea what's inside or how it's powered. Burnham thinks, thinks perhaps something is missing as a result of the DMA. Kind of like Boronite. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, of course, Boronite. Uh, President Rilak has an explanation from Saru. Pete, she is us. Saru explaining that Bornite can be used for amazing, uh, creation of amazing power. Uh, oop, the scans do show that the DMA attack sites have no Bornite left. Pete, oftentimes Discovery will say things in the science and then they will break it down for schlubs like me. Can you break it down for a schlub like me? Because all this Bornite, the attack, the DMA, give it to me. Give it to me another way. It would seem that it is not a weapon, that they are mining the areas where the DMA has been sent for this substance, um, which only stands to reason that if their power supply is threatened by Book and Tarka, that their weapons, which could be even more threatening, would be brought to bear. Hence, Book and Tarka must be stopped. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with Ruan Tarka. He remains a compelling threat, but there's this veil of sadness that we still can't pierce. We know about his scientist friend here. The concept of sacrifice has now been brought up. Clearly, there's more to this story than what we've been told. And I think it's great that you're highlighting the sadness that he's showing because clearly, you know, clearly they've said at every stage of production, writing, shooting, casting, and so forth, like, Hey, you're going to be a big deal in the second half of the season, but we kind of need you to sustain this thing. And maybe, you know, once he's cast, they go, the real secret is, you know, here, here's his tragic backstory. 
uh, to help inform his performance. Uh, maybe they don't. Maybe they say, imagine it's like you've lost everyone in your family, you know, whatever it is. But it's like that sad look that he returns to has to bust through the card game episode and the sea dragon and the boxing match and all of that. And boy, it surely does. It does. And the vehicle for all of that is has Mazzaro. Yeah. Fantastic character. I mean, the makeup design top tier top 10% in Star Trek aliens in my book, uh, maybe let's say in Star Trek TV show, makeup don't want to don't want to disrespect star trek beyond um the fact that he looks devilish makes us kind of i think recoil a bit the fact that his personality is so big and he ultimately is existing by like a fair code like it is kind of fair to say you cheated me therefore you owe me money uh even if the nature of the cheat is up for debate and you know so on and so forth um he's a super likable guy and ultimately you know we don't see a mean menace to him. We just see a guy who means business and uh, wants things followed by his set of rules. Well, what he really sells is that if you cross him, there'll be penalties. And though we don't see what happens with the one that he catches cheating, ultimately we know it's not going to be any good. Really appreciated the idioms, you know, some of which, we can kind of parse our way through, you know, Klingon and a disco uh, and Cardassian and cake. But there were other things like, all right, what the heck's a Banta tree? Uh, all right, I guess it doesn't blow in the wind or maybe it does. Uh, Pete, one day when I'm old and gray, I would like my autobiography to be Klingons at a disco colon. And then, we'll, you know, I'll think of a good subtitle there. Um, Pete menacing with, the two dangerous weapons he holds, I'm talking about his fists, is Ato Kerr, the boxing man. He and his greaseball corner man, uh, appropriately menacing, uh, the size with Kerr, uh, the just untoward behavior of the, uh, the friend there make intermediary threats that push the story forward as for the changeling really novel use of a you know of a star trek uh species type insofar as the construction of this episode is okay we are going to dedicate you know 18 to 20 pages to the gambling den part of the story and book and burnham both need kind of dueling mini missions and Burnham's going to use Owo because Pete, they've listened to the podcast and they know that the show <laughs> is better off uh, coming up with interesting and novel ways to use the Canadian bridge crew. Um, so like, okay, if, if, if Owo is going to do the boxing match thing, what's yeah? You know, how, how else do you have a casino mini heist, mini mystery, mini mission? Um, it's the counting crew of one was a great turn and a great use again of, you know, the changeling who can be many and one. That legacy alien here and, you know, somebody that we've had great interactions with in Odo's species. And then of course the, the founder, the founders, 
begs the question what they've been up to since the Dominion War and, you know, are they just relegated to the fringes of society? Hopefully maybe get a little bit more of that. We've got so much of, uh, you know, Matt's much derided Ferengi prosthetics in this season. Uh, let's get some more changelings. Now let's use our sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, the show saying a number of times in this episode, book, if you proceed, you are burning bridges. There's no way back. There's no turning back. I know we've talked before, even prior to the the sins of this episode or even the sins of the last episode. Um, does the show have a plan for book in season five or are we counting down towards David Ajala's uh, unfortunate end on the show. His sacrifice? <laughs> you mean he might he might turn a turn a new leaf and have to pay the ultimate price for it? I think really there's only one direction it can go, and you would have gotten two seasons with him. Uh, more than a guest star or, you know, regular member of the cast, but comes and goes. I think we're really on a countdown for that. So five episodes to go for the season, obviously somewhere in the 412, 413 range, you know, the climactic battle punctuated by a speech about the, you know, the uh, unending goodness in all of us or something like that. I'm not sounding critical. I'm just saying, there's a shape to discovery. And I think, I think that's what we're headed towards. Um, so therefore I can, I assume maybe the 10 C may be unmasked next week. If not, maybe, maybe this month for Oh nine, four ten, we finally oh, see the 10 C. Absolutely. Um, any other kind of, you know, five episode arc predictions from your end, Pete. The idea of the prototype spore drive being in play now and potentially falling into others' hands, I think, is an interesting wrinkle. Um, as quickly as it's appeared, its significance is underscored in this episode. So I think they're definitely signaling that that's a bad thing and we've got to get that back. Well, and we do also get a reminder at the beginning of this episode in the, the real act reminder scene, um, her desire to move the Federation beyond dilithium dependence, uh, which a, you know, obviously sounds a lot like petroleum dependence and all of that. Um, it made me wonder kind of dusting that line off beyond like, that's a thing. We need the thing back. It's just a MacGuffin. Like, no, no, no. It's part of a larger, mm -hmm. you know, post dilithium desire. Um, is that a goal that's met at the end of the season? Like I could imagine there we are, we're at HQ and it's like, you know, Vance is like, all right, fleet to your posts. And you see all these ships, you know, spinning and, you know, spore jumping away. Last of which is discovery that spins. And we, you know, cut to black, dun, 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 you know, credits and say, wow, we finished four incredible seasons. Can't wait for season five. Could what the DMA does in its ability to move rapidly from one point to another be the key to unlocking that for the federation you know you you made the point of 
the the goodness within all of us speech and and the moment where we embrace the optimism of the future to solve the the big season long problem does it lead to the solution of the seasons long problem in the propulsion of the 32nd century I think that very well could be, and I think it also would fit into something that maybe maybe we are sensing from this season, just in terms of the great mystery of the 10C, um, and now they are so powerful that we are to them as ants and all of this, and their threat, their threat, and I mean, don't get me wrong, all I need to do is ask Cleveland Book Booker as to the threat, and the loss of Quay John and all of that, uh, but... Just the notion of, are we setting up the biggest, baddest baddies ever? Worse than the Klingons, worse than the 24th century Romulans, worse than the Borg, worse than everybody. Or it's going to be, you know, a misunderstanding. Of course, they do a better job than like, oops, I actually knocked over Quay John. Sorry to kill six million people, you know. But something where it's like, they're not actually the enemies if we work together. You know, something like that that feels like it could fit into Star Trek. And also, I would argue... After a couple of seasons, you know, I think like control was unambiguously super, super bad and needed to be stopped. And it was definitely good versus definitely bad. Um, and, you know, Klingon war. Okay, fine. There's an interest in Klingon culture and whatnot. But like they were definitely in opposition to our Federation. Um, I wouldn't mind a season long baddie that's revealed to be not that bad after all. What happened to Tarka that has led him to this? I mean, I entered the episode saying, well, it's this loss of this friend who is very important to him. And then, you know, and then initially, you know, this episode 407, I think that was first referenced. Um, but kind of initially it was like, you know, if this was like a different decade, it would be like friend or friend. What are we trying to say here? Um, but regardless, it didn't fully it didn't fully land this notion of, oh, I really miss my friend. and I don't know if he got out. How about you're the smartest guy in the Federation? You can easily find out, particularly in this post-Emerald Chain world. It all doesn't add up. Now we're getting this sense of almost immeasurable loss. Oh, Owo was suggesting there was a person or people that I lost, or maybe like a whole community or something really terrible. All my shipmates from when I was little, they're all dead. And he's saying, no, what I lost is is worse. Uh, does it suggest the loss of another galaxy another another reality i feel like we might be headed to that but i i would say we de we need to definitely move off the idea of like oh look tarka has discovered his friend bob it's bob who he misses uh pete here's a theory that just popped into my head is it possible that ruan tarka is a 10c which is something i know we've discussed a while ago maybe not with the 10c name but is he maybe trying to find his last jump the jump that is home did we discuss that? I have no memory that we thought maybe he's of that race. Um, At the very least, the notion that like, and this may have been a ways back, but like the notion that he says, you know, one, two, three, when actually every single step is to set up something that's, you know, duplicitous and the opposite of what he's saying. It's an intriguing notion. I don't know that I'd buy it as presented because all right if they possess this incredible 
technology? How is he unable to replicate it in some such a way? Um, we've had the Kenneth Mitchell inclusion in this season teased. I, I just feel like the scientist friend is going to wind up being him. I think that's a great spot for him to uh, to pop up. Um, and um, I'm very interested to see how that's going to play out. Um, the other thing I got out of this episode, Matt, and, you know, now now it has been defined this way. Armis is a race. Um, I would say Armis definitely may be a race or it's like. I don't know. And Armis Haas says, who who are you to argue with not Maz Kanata Haas? I mean, I mean, Mazara. Pete, <laughs> I, I might say to you, you know, uh, Pete, you are so you are such a great leader. You are you are a Moses for this podcast. That and does not make Moses and Moses. And um, Armis. And Armis. Here was my Don't take act away. like Armis. You know, you know the famous Armis who killed Tasha Yar, the the uh, who is Tar. <laughs> <laughs> that that it, that's such an incredible episode to go back and rewatch because uh, I was seven or eight when it happened, and kind of like it had been foretold that she was going to be leaving the show, and it was this. Very sad thing for me, and I look back now. Matt like, hey, you know. and and knew all the you know Hollywood trade stuff. Meanwhile, here's like thirteen year old Pete who gets his heart stomped out uh, by losing Tasha, and then having Data be all upset. Like that that to me is an all time TV funeral. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I remember sitting there crying, and and when there's the holographic goodbye that she does and all that uh, just my point is you look back now through the through the lens of and they then made 110 other episodes of next generation without her and everything was okay uh, yes the actress came back and blah 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 we know that um but you know how, how like i don't know it wasn't it, it, it wasn't the end of things it was just a, a you know it was an emotionally powerful episode with a guy covered in printer's ink and Jonathan Frakes apparently was cleaning his ears out for days after he got dipped in it. And Pete, that's the that's the essential goofiness of the first season of TNG. And uh, Pete, maybe we'll get an Armis appearance in Strange New Worlds. Who knows? With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start with our Twitter poll. Uh, Pete, Look, I went with the card thing, okay? I think maybe, well, we can analyze the data or data as it comes in, uh, but the chips are in. What poker hand would you give this episode? Um, a pair, that's two things, uh, got 16.7%. Full house, uh, in which there was three things, got 0%. Four of a kind, that's a four, got 28.8%. Then royal flush, five hearts, got 62.5%. Some replies on the Twitter uh, machine here. JT Atkins, JTA is me. I love the change of pace. A chance for Michael to do serious things, but in a lighter way. And oh, oh, taking it to the mat. This was a great sleuthy episode with a perfect trick card played by Michael at the end. Let's fly. 
Next up is Andre Yeager, Dr. Polo1983 on Twitter. This was a uh, get you back in the mood episode. They're continuing to line up pieces for the rest of the season. Hopefully they'll pick up the pace in the next episode. James, you know what, Pete? The pace did not bother me, but it did. After having spent a lot of time watching Book of Boba Fett, which I dare say probably the per episode budget for book of boba fett is higher than discovery although both shows you know incredibly expensive um it did kind of occur to me like hey this is a middle of the season episode of star trek hey this is a really interesting alien um casino where rooms are separated by interesting fabric hung from bars that are out of view (laughs) <laughs> and so forth like you, you know I'm, again i'm not trying to say this was a letdown I, I would i would politely disagree with the great dr polo andre Yeager. um and, and and i would say that to my eyes the pace was fine but it was like whoa this is in the middle of things with a large cast and bunches of extras and not everything is like oh man the tuscans are already masked so of course we can have eight of them in a shot no covid worries because underneath the tuscan mask is an N95 mask and action, you know. So uh, what did you think, Pete, of the pace? I thought the pace was appropriate. And I think as we're gathering steam here, the beginning of the second half of the season, the desperation to find our two fugitives, it all worked. Next up, James is sagacious. That's at Big Killin on Twitter. I think Burnham's explanation to Owo in the shuttle was for us. Uh, this was an episode for Owo to do something. And oh, wow, does she? <laughs> See what he did there, Pete? Oh, wow. I do. Uh, for, for me, it wasn't a great episode to come back from a break, but it was solid in terms of what I like about Disco. Next is Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at TessLC139. Honestly, I was quite underwhelmed. The best parts belong to Joanne. Oh, wow. The rest of the story could have been told in five minutes and uh, would have been uh, better spent on other characters. For me, this is an episode that I will likely never rewatch. This one was a flush. This one was a flush. All right. Wow. Oh um, I mean, there's a lot of style in this episode. And while I would agree it could have been told in five minutes. Okay. Uh, that they're going to make you feel the atmosphere and the lamentation at the probable dissolution of Burnham and Book's relationship over uh, his loss and his need to prevent anybody else from suffering it. So I, I think, again, it's, it's a um, it's a story point that leads us down the path. Next up is Stingray. That's at Trek Girl 88. I enjoyed this episode. It was nice to have some fun to lighten the heaviness of the larger story. Loved watching Burnham and Book work together while also working against each other. And oh, whoa. Oh, wow, for sure. I expected Owo to kick ass right away. And I liked that I was surprised by her losing the first couple rounds. I liked the whole feel of Karma Barge, a little taste of Burnham and Book's courier days. And Haz, Haz was a great character. Haz is fun until he's not. I think we all know that guy, smiley emoji. <laughs> uh, and last tweet here from Calvin was right. That is Casey, uh, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Enjoyable enough. Who was that woman with Burnham that was in the ring? She seemed familiar. Hmm, emoji. 
Uh, I, I think Pete, a bit of sarcasm there since it's been a while since we've seen her. Uh, I feel like Book is on his way out. A little annoying that the episode was uh, so light on, well, everyone, but it is what it is. I hope Sonika Martin-Green gets paid well, dollar sign, dollar sign. Pete, I suspect she probably is indeed paid well. Now that she's a producer? Uh, indeed. With that, Pete, uh, from one star universe in which he is an admiral to Grand Admiral of the Starfleet, let's now hear from Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 8. After this mid-season break, nicely coming back, just at the end of the Season 1 of The Book of Boba Fett, so that I don't get too many audio feedbacks to make. I know you have a crazy schedule with all the series you do, but for me it's nice to have just two or maximum three podcasts just to give feedback. Actually, I can't imagine how much work you do on all the full podcasts you do. So, thanks for that, anyhow. I was not too enthusiastic about this episode. I gave it a 6 out of 10 on IMDb. I think it was nice but also quite predictable so the poker game the end result was of course quite predictable the fight with Awoshikan the end result of course was also obvious they built in a little tension but still she won of course so that was not so inspiring on the other hand the way they did it in the atmosphere they created was nice in that casino um, but still, important thing we learned here, of course, is that the DMD is not attacking, but just mining stuff, etc. So attacking them without talking is perhaps not the best idea. And of course, this is the Starfleet or Federation policy for first contact. So a bit predictable as well. On the other hand, we can expect some tension, some problems there in this first contact and really can expect that Book and mainly Tarka will be the disturbing factor there. Okay, that's all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete for Fred. I, I liked his description there that the the card game portion, or perhaps the casino portion overall, the outcome not necessarily uh, surprising, uh, but an interesting journey along the way with the with the facets of the story and the trappings of the setting and the characters and so forth. I don't know how to play cards, but barely, and I'm awful at it. So when it comes to that stuff in the story, and now it's alien cards, Matt. So, ooh, a flush and a straight and a sideways and an up and down. Um, but the emotional stakes of it is the point for the story. And, and that I can understand. And I, I think they did that. Oh, and hey, look, Alien Head from the movie, uh, you know, six years ago. So that was kind of cool as well. Fred referenced uh, how the show pointed out that the DMA is actually the result of mining. So, Pete, what if in the Grand Galaxy Quest tradition, we get the reveal that these are not miners, but instead miners? That it's children, that'd be an interesting wrinkle. I still feel 
that the way that the DMA moves, that the tech behind it is reminiscent of the spore drive and that there's a parallel there. So I'm interested to see how that's going to link up. Um, it's felt very intentional at times, the way in which they've done that to have whoever is responsible in some way, you know, I, I don't mean this like mirror universe, but just mirroring that and, you know, the level of resources. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Is this red angel level of intrigue? Uh, sadly, it's not been, you know, and what a great guessing game that was. And then back to season one of, you know, who is Voke and, and Tyler. Um, they've had great mysteries on this show. This has not lived up to that just yet. Uh, something like that done well, I, I think could. I feel like I'm okay the show not having a true mystery box this season. Now, again, as you were suggesting, there could be the reveal, you know, there was a hidden mystery all along. I know we've kicked around, like, is it potentially, you know, is it we who are inside the the DMA? Or is it we who are species 10C? Just whatever the we is. It's Federation from the future or, you know, kind of some sort of reflective thing there. Um, but uh, Pete, Fred also highlighting that there are potential tensions ahead for first contact with the 10 C. Um, do you have any predictions about what that first contact situation will be like? How would you make first contact with yourself? That I think would be an interesting thing. If we're going to go along with this season theme of uncertainty wrought from the pandemic, the idea of contacting another seems relatively straightforward. Okay. You've, you've got to establish what you have in common and then figure out how to speak to that. If it's you, if it's a version of you, they've floated the alternate universe idea. I think again, that could be really fascinating to pursue. You know, we, We've seen a, a mid-season trailer where they're in the shuttle bay and, you know, uh, President Tarina is there and they're walking forward and we don't see who it is they're going to make first contact with. And, you know, I fully expect it's going to be their opposite number of themselves on the other end. And it's going to be the realization of it was us all along. Why do we need the Boronite? Pete, this entire Star Trek journey that is ahead of us is, of course, made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. They make sure that we don't need to go out for the Boronite as they help us. So our thanks to them. <laughs> they bring the mine to us. And uh, in exchange for that, we open up our mine of treasures for you on uh Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Over 76 posts there for you to check out can't contribute this month and takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating to any of our feeds always helps people find us pete how can we keep this star trek conversation going how can people be in touch with you on twitter 
Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,344 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH, like it today. Listeners to the Pop Culture Podcast feed can look forward to our Book of Boba Fett Season 1 wrap uh, next weekend ahead of talking about uh, Star Trek Discovery Episode 409. Uh, Pete, beyond that, for the rest of the month, we have a Picard Season 2 preview on the radar and a little bit more Discovery. Then, of course, when February turns to March, the great conjunction as Discovery and Picard are released together for three weeks and uh, Moon Knight later in the month and so forth. So certainly exciting times. For now, though, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Do you want a bag? Because there's more. <laughs>